Hey guys, for those of you that haven't joined us before, I'm John Harris. I'm a professional drummer and educator and best friends with me, Ben Jones. I am a professional bassist and educator. And over the last 15 years, we've been working, laughing and living together, navigating the ups and downs of teaching in higher education and having a jolly old time in the UK music industry. This podcast is our way to open the doors of our friendship and professional lives to discuss all things music and life. Welcome to our podcast, Beats and Best Friends. Hello everyone and a very happy Thursday to you all. Welcome to Beats and Best Friends. How are you mates? I'm good. How are you? I'm very well, thank you. Yeah, it's um, it's a lovely day. It's uh, it's always good to be here with you and I'm very excited about today's episode. <laughs> it's going to be very funny. Very funny indeed. I really, I honestly, I really look forward to these sessions. Every Thursday we're in our podcast room again. Yeah. We've got our special our special lights on. Yeah. Our mood lighting. Mate, it's it's the best day of best day of my week, without a doubt. Like I just love it. And listening back, obviously we've been listening back to the other episodes when we've released and it's just been so much fun. I love it. And I I just know today is going to be such a hoot and a holler. Oh my God. I, I'm actually preparing myself because I think my mouth is going to be so sore from the laughter. What are we talking about today, mate? So we're going to talk about our best and worst gigs of our careers so oh far. Oh my God. Oh my God. And we had to be very careful how we filtered this because yes. obviously there are lots of people out there who know us and it wouldn't take much to figure out what we're talking about. But, you know, we're not throwing shade on people. It's not like we're not hanging people out to dry publicly. It's it's more the situations because, I mean, over 15 years of playing, you just see some of the most insane things ever, particularly when you, when you work with the British public. <laughs> just some, some people, I mean... Yeah, I mean, we'll we'll save the content for when we get into it. Well, it's, but it's also a lot to oh, do with God. you know what we've maybe done on gigs as well. So it's kind of it's kind of like it encompasses everything, doesn't it? In gigging life, yeah, absolutely. And like you know, as a musician, I think sometimes you can take yourself a bit too seriously. Yes. And <laughs> these will certainly humble us, <laughs> if nothing else. Um, anyway, what have you been up to? How's your week been so far? So I'm kind of getting a little bit sick of winter now, if I'm honest. Okay. I'm just like... End of Jan, yeah. Yeah, I kind of... I wake up in the dark and I get home in the dark. Oh, yeah, because you leave quite early, don't you? Exactly. I'm I'm up up sort of fairly early anyway, just Mm. kind of getting things done and just starting my day. But I'm just like, I'm looking forward to a bit of sun. Yeah. Um, obviously living by the beach as well like it's it's just really cold yeah I'm just I'm ready for I'm ready for spring now you get that sea breeze don't you so it's like beautiful in the summer but very chilly in the winter indeed nice what about you uh yeah I'm all right it's um it's been a tough January and I mentioned on the last one I had some issues with our, our dog and stuff but do you know what it's just kind of we're just getting through it and moving looking like you looking forward to February looking yeah. forward to spring Everyone hates January. It's just rubbish. We should just, I think we should just start the year in February. January, (laughs) we should all just stay at home, watching Netflix, no work, and then, because you'll just about feel okay then, and then February will do it properly. January's a bit of a write-off. It's everyone's like, no one's got any money after Christmas. No, exactly. You get, you've got that longer sort of, because you get paid slightly early before Christmas, so you've got that sort of longer months to get paid, and it's just cold and... Everyone's kind of hibernating, so yeah. it's just you know whatever. But it's not the one. I don't know. No, um, but it's fine. We're moving forward. 
I'm here with you. The sun is shining in my heart. Yeah, I love it. (laughs) So last time on the podcast, we started off with some questions by yourself. Mm -hmm. And now it's my turn. Oh, God. And he doesn't know what I'm going to ask. So this might be the end of his career right now. (laughs) No. So uh, we agreed that I would ask you the same two questions that you started with. And then I've got a third one. A sneaky one. Do you know what? I completely forgot the first two questions as well. So well, luckily, some of us are professionals and have prepared. <laughs> so the first question is, swapping drums for bass, uh, is what is one of your favourite drum grooves, lines, fills? I mean, for drums, it's, it's quite a bit wider there. What's one of your favourites or a selection of your favourites of all time? Yeah, so I'd probably like just completely, if I'm just, you know, what kind of first comes to mind? Oh, it's a hard one. I would say Rosanna, the, oh, the yeah. um, Picaro Shuffle. Yeah. Uh, Rosanna, just because it's such an iconic groove. And good choice. Jeff Picaro was one of my favourite drummers of all time. And just so iconic. And yeah. that, you know, if you go Rosanna, everyone knows that drum yeah. groove. Which is a big thing because in that song there's a lot of standout playing. You know, like the guitar solo from Lucifer. Mm. I mean, you could sing that to anyone. They'd be like, oh, Rosanna. Or like the BVs, the harmonies, the, you know, the lines, the keyboard solo. And then, of course, the whole thing starts with that iconic fill. Yeah. And you're like, oh, it's Rosanna. Okay, cool. Nice. So Rosanna, okay. It's actually like going back to that groove as well. It's really to play that well is really hard because yeah. there's so many moving parts and if one thing is kind of you know not quite in the right place it just doesn't sit like yeah. all the ghost notes have to be there the bass drum placement is beautiful and also it's fast like yeah. to play that shuffle that yeah. fast for the whole song is really tricky so yeah that i'd say probably that okay anything else i'd say a number of different songs by The Roots. Yeah. So Questlove. Yeah. Um, I'm trying to think. Oh, there's just loads. I, I can't. I can't. So I can't name. Yeah. The roots anything by The Roots. Yeah. And probably, I'd say, oh, what's the one? I can't believe I can't remember the title. Um, I got a woman. Oh, the, the live version. The live version. Where Steve starts. Where Steve Jordan yeah. starts with John Mayer. That groove is so <laughs> nice. Oh, yeah, that's a great groove. Yeah, so nice. That is an iconic, iconic piece of playing, definitely. I'm just basically saying loads, because there's just so no, many. No, but it's uh, it's like the same with the bass last week. I can't really narrow it down, but it's. I think it's interesting for listeners to hear your, your focus, like mm. where it goes to. So no metal then, even though you started as a metaler. Well, I'd say uh, take a look around, Limp Biscuit. Man, John Otto is so, so underrated. underrated. Yeah. Like when you, if you actually, so there's a drummer that I follow online called Stan uh, Stan Bickle, right? And he's an, a drummer from New Zealand, and he did a cover of it recently and he tried to get the exact sound oh cool um, and I actually messaged him on Instagram and like and he, he's a really friendly dude and I wanted to know what his symbol setup was and he nailed it man because he's Zildjian right John Otto was Zildjian for years he was I think he was Zildjian yeah I think you're pretty right pretty sure because I remember it when I was like starting off I'm pretty sure it was Zildjian he was one of the big Zildjian artists yeah I think he was I don't what was his kit uh, he played Orange County 
ah. for a little bit. And then I don't know what he plays now, and I really should, but it was Orange County for a little bit. When it was like Significant Other and Hot Dog Flavor. I mean, because it's Rick Rubin, isn't it? Uh, producer on yes. those tracks. And like, if you ever go to a Rick Rubin album, you just know it's Rick Rubin from the drum sound. And the drums on Hot Dog Flavored Water are the best thing about that album. Like, My yeah. Way, uh, The One. Living It Up. Boiler. I mean, come on. Like, Living yeah. It Up? Is that, is that, yeah. yeah. Living It Up. Yeah, Living It Up. Yeah. I d- honestly, like, I, if, if it wasn't produced that way, I wouldn't have liked that album so much. Yeah. Like, I put that on now and I'm like, oh my God, it's it timeless. sounds amazing. It is amazing, that album. And Significant Other, though. Like, yeah. Nookie. And yeah. together now, rearranged, like the rhythm. Again, you're right. So John Otto and then the bassist Sam Rivers, such an underrated rhythm section because I don't know about you, but they remind me a little bit of kind of like, um, who's the drummer from Incubus? The original one from like the Drive and Pardon Me days. So I know it's Dirk Lance on bass and I can never remember the drummer's name, but yeah. let's say them. Yeah. Hip hop, funk, metal all fusing together and obviously limp were like the the masters of that and you just oh we're gonna have to do some limp biscuit on next season or season three hundred percent it's gonna be very difficult to choose which song we do for that because oh there's so many good ones like that take a look around drum groove if you because he's essentially uh and this this is kind of that fusion isn't it really with the sort of like um with rage and it's like kind of rap hip-hop metal and they're essentially like his sound is very influenced by hip hop. Right. And when you listen to the grooves, it's basically like hip hop in the verses yeah. and then a heavy chorus. Yeah. And the way he plays some of that, he's just, he's so underrated, John yeah. Otto. I love his playing. Yeah. And we, we went to see them, right? At Brixton oh, Academy. One of the best gigs I've yeah. ever seen in my life. I was so Still got it. emotional over that gig. It was like, it was just one of those days where everything went right. We had the just most. Just one of those days. Oh! Hey! Yeah. Just one of those days. Oh my God. That was so good. That was good. But like, do you remember we went to that bar beforehand and all they did was play new metal? And yeah. then we went to the gig. It was just like. That's a good night. It was like just going back to your childhood and being like, oh my God, these are my heroes. But then they played like they did in the, go- the golden days. They were so good. Yeah. Oh my God. They were so good. That was a great gig. So Limp Bizkit <laughs> and John Otto. Okay, amazing. So that's so those are your... Okay, right. So second one then yeah. is if you could go to dinner with any musician we agreed on, not yeah. just bassist so, or drummer, dead or alive, who would it be? I thought long and hard about this last week. And I... Just because I'd have so many questions. Yep. Michael Jackson... Wow, controversial decision. Yeah. I like that. And whether I'd get the answers, yeah. probably not, because I know he's always, you know, you see the, all these interviews and he's very closed off and he yeah. doesn't give much away. But I, I mean, so basically, uh, myself, my mum, and my brother, I don't think my dad wanted to go. Classic. Um, <laughs> Big Nick wasn't interested. Nick. <laughs> but um, we had tickets to go and see the final tour. This, oh, is, well, it. this is it before you died. Yeah. yeah, and we had some, I don't know how we were all on our laptops and stuff and we had some really good tickets. Like they were pretty close to the front. Nice. Um, I'm not sure what night it was because there was a string of dates, yeah. wasn't there? And I remember getting a text from my mate and he's like, mate, have you seen the news? And I was like, no. He's like, oh, um, Michael Jackson's passed away. I was like, no, you are joking because that was the only time yeah. I was, I've never seen him before. And I just, I mean, 
you know, the greatest pop star of, of all time, I just have so many questions for him and not, mm. not the, the horrible stuff, like yeah. just music related. I just really want to know, you know, what his thought process was, how he wrote songs. Yeah. I'm just, yeah, it, it would really interest me. Whether I'd get those answers, I do not know, but, you know. That's really interesting. And, and I really like you said that because I'm still in two camps with Michael Jackson, if I'm totally honest. And I had yeah. this conversation with the students the other day. Like, obviously... There's a lot of musicians out there that have got a really dark reputation behind them. And obviously, you know, Michael Jackson is one of them. Yeah. Um, but I said to them, you know, how how do we move forward? Because even though, you know, what has been released and that side of his personality and, and what, the, you know, the dark side, it doesn't erase the music. Can we look at music separate? You know, can we separate the art from the artist and yeah. say, right, you know, we're going to look at Off the Wall as a piece of music, yeah. regardless of what this person has done, how can we still appreciate the craft? And I think that, like, that's quite tough, but I think it's really important that we do that because otherwise we lose great music because, unfortunately, people make terrible decisions. And, you know, I look back to when... We went to Cardiff, actually. So going back to Cardiff, just towards the end, um, a new team joined and I was on my way out. So I was meeting the new bass tutor. Um, oh, and his name escapes me. But basically, he was playing bass for Funeral for a Friend. Welsh, obviously. Yeah, you know, quite, he was so lovely. That, he was a lovely guy. Uh, yeah, he'll be in the show notes, but I can't remember his name off the top of my head, but he was a lovely guy. And it was very recently around the time of Ian Watkins and the Lost oh, Prophets. Now, yes. obviously, that was one of the darkest... I think it's one of the darkest things I've ever heard. Yeah. Like, it is beyond evil, really. And I was speaking to him and I was saying, you know, he knows the Lost Prophets, you know. they I think they were not in the same town, but, like, they were some near each other, so they knew each other. And he was saying, like, I feel so sorry for those guys because their music has been tainted now and they didn't know anything. Yeah. You know, it's like if I found out you did that, I'd be like, do you know what I mean? I'd be like, well, I didn't know. I'm just like everybody else. I've just found out too. And I thought that's so sad for them to like, oh, I used to love the Lost Prophets. I mean, yeah, that was me like, too. well, that Shinobi Dragon Ninja, Fake Sound of Progress, Last Train, like great songs. And this band who have put all this work in to make this amazing music, let's face it, when you hear the word Lost Prophets, all you think of is him and yeah. that, that terrible thing he did. And I think that's so unfair that that has happened. And, mm -hmm. I'm, you know, obviously people who work with Michael Jackson and stuff like that, you know, they've gone on to have incredible careers and they had incredible careers before, which is why they were chosen. But I think, you know, we do need to think about separating the art from the artist because we will lose great music otherwise. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Like, and I think I'd be really interested to know what people think about that. Like, we're not, making a judgment call on any of this we're saying you know we want to separate the art from the artist because i would love us to do a michael jackson um session on behind the beat you know any of the iconic yeah. grooves you know and but you know it's probably gonna come under some fire from some people and i think from an education perspective mm. i think it's really dangerous when we start shutting things down so you can't talk about that so like, but that means you can't learn from it you can't take anything from the, the music what we, do you think about that we um we, do you remember when we were doing sort of like covers gigs? Mm. And I remember when the Michael Jackson thing came out, a mm. lot of the clients got back to us and said, can you remove yes. any Michael Jackson songs from the Understandable, set? Understandable, yeah. And I was like, I get that. But so here's where I am uh, sort of on the situation is that 
R. Kelly, right? Oh, great example. I won't listen to his music anymore. Yeah. Whereas I do still listen to Michael Jackson. Yeah. And I still listen to Lost Prophets. Yeah. And so this is where it kind of gets a bit weird because uh, Ian Watkins. Watkins, that's his name, he was convicted, right? Yeah, 100%. And R. Kelly convicted. Yeah. Bang to rights. My, it's, it's, yeah, they 100% did what you know that they were accused of. With Michael Jackson, he was never convicted. And I know, obviously, yeah, it's, it's pretty obvious, yeah. but there was no... no, you know, it's, no it's never and, been decided. Yeah. And I, I think when you watch the documentary and stuff, you'll probably make your minds up for yourselves. You know, yeah. I, I, I do think that he was guilty to yeah. some degree. Me too. But, you know, whether... I don't know. His childhood excuses him a little bit. I, Absolutely. I don't know. You know, this. I'm not. I'm not getting into that. That no, no, no. I think that's fine. But I think he was guilty, and but I think he went through a lot when he was younger. Yeah. But it's weird that like I, I won't listen to R. Kelly, but then I will listen to Lost Prophets. Yeah. But then I will listen to to Michael Jackson. It's 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 tricky. It's but really I think tricky. that's okay. Like I think yeah. I think the thing is like, as musicians. We should we should address this stuff because it's like if someone said to me you're never going to study Michael Jackson or we're not allowed to teach young students about Michael Jackson I'm like so you've just cut out one of the most richest musical heritages we have Ever. in contemporary music mm-hmm. and and also it's then a reflection on like Quincy Jones and all the other musicians who yep. went into those those songs so it's you know it's a really tricky one that but I, I love you answered that I just yeah. that, that kind of it made me think about that. So, well, okay, so what, Jay. My, um, nice. yeah, my favourite song of all time is Earth Song by Michael Jackson. It is, yeah. Man, that yeah, that you, drum groove yeah, is just the, the pocket and the feel. And yeah. like, I, I crank that full blast yeah. in my car and just it's a great sing song. everything. It's just great. I always find myself, and I don't know why this is, but whenever I'm <laughs> washing up for some reason, <laughs> I always end up humming... Um, can't stop loving you, or just can't stop loving you. And if I stop, yeah. and I just, I'm like, duh, 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 duh. it's just one of those. Me- it's just scrub, an incredible scrub. melody. Or you are not alone. Oh, yeah. man. I mean, that, yeah. That's another episode. That's, yeah. that's another episode. I think something about artists and artistry. Okay, so nice answers. Thank you. Your third question that you do not know nothing about. Oh. That's a good one. So, what are you most proud of in your playing? And where do you see your biggest development as a drummer? Oh. Someone get a mic for this kid to drop! <laughs> How dare you? I thought it'd be so, a good one. I'm really curious about this. That's why I asked it. Repeat one more time. I need to take this in. Repeat. Um, so what are you most proud of in your playing? Okay. And where do you see your biggest development still lie as a drummer? Okay. I would say... Oh, my kind of strongest areas and my mm-hmm. sort of things that I can maybe um yeah my biggest biggest successes probably my groove okay and my pocket playing great um yeah and and sort of playing for different artists like playing the right things for the right situation nice i would say i think that's why the i predominantly get booked is because people know that if they book me that's what they're going to get. Yeah, I think that is very true. And that's not me being arrogant. That's just what it that's, is. There is no arrogance no. in that whatsoever. You've worked incredibly hard to get to Thank it. You. you deserve to to talk about it. I, th- I think um, anyone you ask would probably say the same, actually. Like, you know, you're going to get someone who's super prepared, doesn't me- you know mess around, and is going to deliver. And that is, like, so great. Yeah. Right? Okay. And then what's the bit that you still feel like you want to develop the most? 
So I've, I've, I've actually, because I've kind of worked for years on sort of my groove and playing in the pocket and stuff, one thing I haven't looked at so much is probably chops. Chops and, Ooh, and chop, chops, chops, the and C sort word. Of, yeah, chops and phrasing. And actually, I've been because it's sort of quieter on the gig front at the yeah. moment. I've just been in my studio practicing all the time, oh. and I've been practicing a lot of licks and different sort of like phrasing around the kit and sort of I, I suppose flow. Flow. I mean, what been, does that mean to a non-drummer? So, like, I'd say flow, sort of moving comfortably around the kit in right. a musical fashion. And kind of when you sort of linking different phrasing from one to the other. So, you know, rather than just sort of like a straight run, yep. maybe putting different concepts together. Oh, cool. So, yeah, just kind of being able to move around the kit with ease, uh, using different concepts and kind of gluing them together and just orchestration. So in terms of like maybe picking an idea, but then moving it onto different voices of the kit. Nice Flo. answer. <laughs> Flow. flow. <laughs> Definition of flow. That's a really cool answer. Thank yeah. you. I really enjoyed that. I was I was really curious. I thought in my head you'd say the first one. I thought, yeah, that's probably what he'll say. I thought you were also going to say sound. You've got a great sound and you've worked a long time on your sound. Yeah, actually, yeah. And I know how much work you've gone through different yeah. hats, different companies, and like you found with DS what you really love and that is yeah. your sound and I think you know we know from our students and and working with you know less professional players that it's one of the easiest things to spot in an amateur player is the sound yeah because it's like you haven't really thought about it you know you're playing really good parts but you haven't considered how this is gonna come out live you're not mixing yourself when you play you're yeah. waiting for someone else to do it I think that's I was gonna say sound or that what you said came to mind for me, but also sound for you as well. Yeah, and I, I like the development one. That was cool. Yeah, I think that comes with experience as well, doesn't it? It's like the, uh, because we've been doing it for a while. I've, like you say, I've kind of you know been with different drum companies and different cymbal companies, and now I'm with DS Drums, who are an Italian brand, and also Istanbul have got yeah. cymbals. Yeah. And it's not just that I'm with those companies. It's like I've kind of experimented with different sounds, and and now. You know, if you listen to someone like Richard Spaven, for example, who, yeah. we, who we teach with, it, when you hear him play, it's rich. Yeah. And I'd yeah. like to think that, you know, when people hear me play, they think, oh, it's John. Definitely. And, and, you know, vice versa. And I Definitely. think as a musician, it's nice to have your own approach and your own unique sound that you can bring to the table because then people know it's you. Absolutely. I've always thought, like, as a bassist, you know, I mean, God, you could talk about this for days, but like gear. Right. Mm. I, I'm not a big gear person. I never have been. I, I'm a bit of a purist when it comes to playing bass. Like I have um, two main basses. One's a five-string uh, Maple Neck Lackland, and one's a four-string uh, Fender P Vintage Reissue. Like, but that covers everything that I need. And like, sound is everything. Because at the end of the day, I always believe that like you could take all of these players that we talk about, the greats, and sit them on any single kit or bass mm -hmm. and they'll still sound like themselves they're not going to sound like oh oh Vinny uh, Vinny Colliuta or um, Jeff Picaro sitting down at like a bog standard shell pack he'll still sound like himself yeah of course may not be the most beautiful but he'll still play like himself and I think that's one of the things with sound like again it's something that we work on with our students but also I notice it on like sometimes professional gigs as well I'm like that's not a great sound like do you enjoy that sound? Do you know what I mean? Like when I hear it, I yeah, go, oh, yeah, yeah. okay, interesting. And interesting choices. And 
you know, the problem with gear is you can spend so much money on things that are said to be brilliant because it's got a big price tag. But then you listen to it and you're like, but I've heard something a quarter of the price sound better. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? It's a weird one. But I do li- I like your development points. Very Thanks, nice. Mate. You pass. You can stay till the next episode. <laughs> Thank you so much. Right. I like those, those questions. It's good. Thank you. It's not my first rodeo. <laughs> um, okay. Right. That's enough of that. The main event. Nonsense. The main event. Okay. So... <laughs> This is going to be really. Should we? Um, Should we start with the best? Yeah, let's take turns. If we sort of do, if I do um, mine and do yours, and then vice versa, and then we'll go second bit. We'll do worst slash weirdest gigs, <laughs> weirdest the moments of our lives. Yeah. yeah. So you start best gig of all time, I suppose. Yeah. So it has to be. So basically, to, to give you some context, when I first moved to London, when I was I think I was eighteen, I was super hungry to get into the industry and super passionate and I basically moved here and I had like a like a checklist like a tick list of, of venues that I wanted to play and on that list were venues like the O2 Arena the Royal Albert Hall the Jazz Cafe yeah. and all these kind of prestigious London venues and last year in I think at the end of October beginning of November I finally played the O2 Arena and for me it was so significant because it just kind of it, it just meant to, so much to me in so many different ways, yeah. and I think it was almost like measuring my success. It's like I've worked so hard to get here, and now I'm finally here. It's like yeah. the pinnacle, and one I think because with Odyssey, yeah, we've all worked so hard as a team to get there. It's not like I just got a phone call. It's like, do you want to play the O2? Yeah. I've been with them for years yeah. and we've we've been, you know, on the shit gigs and yeah. the weird gigs and, and we've we've built up with, you know, our relationship with the promoters and all that sort of stuff. And then finally we were we were here. And also another reason is is David DeAndrade, yeah. who's the MD and guitarist and also a very, very close friend of ours. And because me and Dave have been there since the beginning it was like a lovely thing that we did together. And yeah. also because Dave has gigged with us for years in our trio, I met Dave in the North Star. In Ealing. In Ealing. Yeah, I remember near that. Near to where we used to live. And I remember when we started our trio, Oz said to me, if you need a guitarist, singer, Depp, come and see this guy. Yeah. So I went down, had a beer, and I remember walking up to the North Star and I hear someone doing Living on the Prayer in the original key yeah. with the key change. Yeah. And I was like, who the who hell is that? Is yeah. that? And I walked in. It was Dave. <laughs> <laughs> and at the end, I was like, dude, I need to get your number. Like, you know, love to work with you. And I think that year, Nick went yeah. to America. This was the Tranquil Depth. That's yeah. it. And Dave Depth for us. And since then, we've yeah. been super close. So That's when Steve was there at that gig. <laughs> That's it. That's where it all started. That's where it all started. Crazy, and the O2, I think, was when we walked in there. I remember we, you kind of you go in on the bus, like through the back, sort of like yeah. those big like cargo sort of doors, and you go um, through the back, and then you kind of park up, and then you're at the back of the stage. And what we used to do on the arena tours, you kind of walk in, then you go through to catering, and you have like dinner or whatever, and get shown to your dressing room. And I was like, "Fuck this! I'm yeah. going straight to the, the stage. stage." Yeah, of course. And I just like snuck around the back and just went straight on stage. And it's like. It's so strange being on a stage that big because I think it's 18,000 yeah. it seats and you look out and it's just so vast. Yeah. Like the lights, the seats, the sound. Yeah. It's absolutely insane. And 
I knew that you and Claire, yeah. my partner, were going to be there as well. So that was like another thing. And basically, just before I went on, I was getting lots of messages going, good luck and stuff. And my mum and dad were, they were actually away on holiday. Yes, they were, weren't they? Yeah. So they couldn't come. And my mum messaged me and she was like, so proud of you. And um, I got super emotional and I texted back and I was like, thank you so much for everything. Because yeah. my mum and dad have always been there for me. They used yeah. to drive me to my first gigs. Yeah. Like they've just been so supportive. And I felt as if I'd kind of like, I'd done them proud. Do you know what I mean? I'd, I'd gone to London and I got myself to the O2. Yeah. And it was that was that was a big one for me. And I remember when we walked off stage, Dave just um, there's a video actually on my Instagram. If you want to check it out, so if you go to at uh, John Harris Music on Instagram and go to the one of the O2, we played the last hit, and Dave kind of like you know puts his hand up to the crowd, and we were sort of clapping yeah. stuff, and the crowd are, are cheering, and Dave turns around and he starts crying. Yeah, and he basically puts his uh, his head on my shoulder, and I kiss him on the forehead, yeah. and we have a big big old snuggle. And then we walk off and D Dave just broke down. Like it was just like, it all got a bit yeah. too much. It was just really emotional for us, I think. I think it's great. First of all, everything you just said, Thanks, I completely mate. echo. I think all of us, your parents, me, Claire, anyone who knows you was so proud of that moment. It, you know, and it's, there's not enough of us holding up each other up and just celebrating each other. Mm -hmm. Like, and it's just so lovely to have seen. And I was just so Oh, it was such a great night. And <laughs> when you ran you ran and jumped on me and oh, I, was yeah. like, I was like, I'm getting attacked. <laughs> I said to Claire, I'm gonna run up to him and jump on him. He's gonna think that I'm his partner. It's gonna be really yeah. funny. Um but no, that was just it was such a great night. And I think, you know, I think it's great that Dave and you felt that emotion so so freely. Yeah. Because I think a lot of people would be like, I'm at the O2, can't cry. And it's like why not? If you're not, if you can't cry and let go of everything and acknowledge that struggle and that journey and everything coming up to this one moment, then what was it all for? Do you know yeah. what I mean? Like, if you're like, oh, well, I've got to hold it together because, you know, it's the O2. It's like, no, you don't. And I think that's just so lovely that you guys just had that moment of going, you know, we've done this now. And just mm. why wouldn't you just grizzle, grizzle my eyes out? You know, yeah, beautiful beautiful story thanks mate. love that it was it was really nice as well because i had a really good gig so like it's like yeah. you know i'd i'd kind of you know worked up to that gig and if i'd gone on stage and had a shocker i would have been so upset but yeah. i walked off and i was like i played you know yeah. i was really proud of what i'd done yeah. like and the nerves didn't get the better of me i just went on there did my thing yeah had a great gig I, and i filmed the whole thing so i looked back and i was like yeah yeah that was good like i feel really good about my playing so it was almost like I'd worked hard to conquer the nerves as well, like over yeah. my career. So everything kind of led up to that. So, yeah. Do you remember much about it? No. I thought that would be the case because you must have been so flooded with adrenaline that it, isn't it funny how obviously you have such a deep memory of what happened afterwards and the emotion, mm. but you don't remember much. It's, it's a bit of a... It's a brain, it's a human brain thing, but it's such a shame that sometimes we do have those moments where it's like it is a bit too much, and the brain goes, oh, "Sorry, you're not going to get much out of me," you know. But, like, <laughs> and, um, but the fact you still have those feelings, I mean, it's just so lovely. And, and the other thing about that night, and I and I said to Claire, I was like, "This is really special." This night was when we saw, was it the four top second or the who was first? I think it was the temps first and the four top second. And someone of the four tops, it was their last gig. The old, the old gentleman, 
who was basically <clears throat> singing my way. And he was, yeah, it was coming to the end of his career. There was like 65 years or something ridiculous. Yeah, he's like, he's in his late 80s. And I thought, what an amazing thing to be at a gig where someone is saying, I'm hanging my boots up. Yeah. After 60 plus years in the end. I mean, and then you think about what he's seen in that time. You know, he you know, obviously remembers in Motown. Um when they were obviously recording in mm. Motown, he would have been there with Marvin Gaye, Jackson 5, Diana Ross and the Supremes, uh, all of these people. And you think, and now he's here in the next generation. I just, that really blew my mind. When, when we when he said that, I really, I got quite emotional about that. I was like, oh my God, you know, I've just seen my best friend play this venue. Yeah. And now I'm seeing someone who, you know, not at the end of his life as in living life, but end of their professional life is also here. It was almost like kind of, I don't know, like one door opens and the closes, that sort of thing. I just thought it was, yeah, that, I, that really stuck with me. And I remember saying to Claire and she was like, yeah, that's amazing. Like, Yeah, because it was very cool. Temptations, obviously, My Girl. Yeah. But then it was the four tops of the cover of My Way by Frank Sinatra, right? And he sung it on his own because it was it. his, it was a story about him, basically, exactly. wasn't it? Lovely. Oh, well, that's that's a lovely one. That's, that's a nice one. Everyone's sitting there going, yeah, 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 whatever. Get to the shit ones. <laughs> Give me the dirt. No, I love that. Can you imagine, though, like, he's he's been on the road, because they, they tour extensively as well. Yeah. He's been on the road for, like, 60-plus years. That's madness. It with is. the same guys, and I think the, the band's been with them for a long time as well. So, like, to then just be like, do you know what, guys? I, 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 it's, that's it. I can't do this anymore. That's a big thing. And he's the last surviving original member, yes. right? And, and that's the. So this is the thing that really yeah. gets me. It's like you've seen your best friend die. I know. And you still go. I know. You still sing those songs, and like, I think in my in his position, I would do it mm-hmm. because I think the music would mean so much to me. But imagine like looking over and not seeing your best friend, but seeing someone who's doing a great job but isn't the original person. That must be really tough, 100%. really tough. But what, yeah, what an amazing, amazing night and, and so wonderful to be part of it, to see it. Yeah, mate. Thank you yeah. so much for coming. That was lovely. You know, it's so nice to have you two there as well. So, um, all right. My little Hercules, all grown up. <laughs> Hercules, Hercules. <laughs> right. What so, about you, matey? So I think uh, we're just looking at some of our notes here. I'm swapping mine in my head because like that, this moment changed everything for me, actually, this this gig. So it wasn't really an official gig. So basically, I went over to Austin, Texas a good few years ago to do an album with um, a very good friend of ours, Jonathan Whiskard. He was doing his album out in Satellite Studios in Austin. And the big deal of this was we had JJ Johnson on the record. And I was such a huge Mayer fan by that time. I was already like a complete disciple of Mayer. And... Um, and JJ was obviously his touring drummer when Steve wasn't on it. So there was this whole thing of you're cutting an album with JJ Johnson. It was um, the producer, Bruce Hughes, and one of the most amazing musicians I've ever met. He was like the basis for Jason Mraz and like he was doing all that stuff. And he was also the producer. So a bassist as well. So I've gone out there with a producer bass player of like a much higher caliber than me and JJ Johnson. And I was like, okay. I've written these lines. These are my lines, but I'm very nervous. Mm. And I remember we were there for about nine days, I think we were out there for. And I think it was the second or third night. I can't remember if it was the second or third, but it was, it was very early on. We went out to a very famous club called the Continental Club, and it's world-renowned, this club. And they just had this house band 
playing like all the meters stuff wow. and like but it was it was unreal i've never seen anything like it first of all i've never seen that music appreciated so much that people were like stripping down to their underwear and dancing to the meters because it was quite hot obviously austin is ridiculously hot it was yeah. like 29 degrees at three in the morning it was you know roasting but like it was like um do you, do you remember the matrix film i think it was the second one where they're in like the free city and they're all just dancing for one bit and they're all like getting a bit sexy and stuff it was like that and i walked in obviously like you know this whatever it was like early 20s you know, young guy, and I was like, I've never seen anyone in England ever do this. Yeah. This is far too free and, and enjoying for an English thing. And I was like, wow, just listening to Sissy Strat and all of these songs, and people are just losing their mind. And they are just like, this is the best music they've ever played. And I was, um, and Bruce took us there and he introduced us to a few people. And um, the drummer was at the bar, and Bruce was next to me, and we were getting some drinks. And he was like, oh, you know, me. My friend Ben, you know, he's over from the UK and he's doing an album with us at Satellite. And uh, this guy just goes, hey, man, you want to come and play a few songs? And I was just like, what? What? Excuse what? me? What do you mean? He's like, <laughs> yeah, man, come on, play a few songs. Like, you know, whatever. I was just like, uh, okay. So, like, Bruce um, was doing a few songs as well. So I borrowed Bruce's bass because mine was back in the studio. And, like, this was a club that was, like, it was like CBGBs. Do you know what I mean? Like, it was like a world-renowned club and it was packed. It was absolutely packed. And the house band were killing. And everyone was like, these are our people. And I got up and I was like, I don't know what I'm doing. I, I don't know if I've done the right thing. I don't know if I've made the right decision here. And I remember speaking to the drummer. He was so lovely. Just like, this is something the difference between like Americans and especially English people. But like, they're just so welcoming to everybody like they're not thinking you're trying to snake their gigs they're like be a part of it come on up you're a musician i'm a musician let's celebrate it and so i was like um because i know they were going to play sissy strut but they hadn't played it yet and i was like well i know that one really well i said should we do sissy strut he's like oh yeah man sissy strut and he's like one two three and it's just like and I, we just played and something happened because at that point i've been playing professionally for a few years but I wasn't very confident. Things were working well, mm -hmm. but I wasn't super confident. And a lot hung over my head around that time. And I remember playing. And like you, I can't remember a bloody thing. Thank God I got a video of it. Otherwise, I never believed it would have happened. Um, I remember being like, oh, I'm actually quite a good bass player. Like, this is actually sounding great. And it finished. And I was just like, you know, breathe, <laughs> breathe, breathe, breathe. And I was like, okay, I'll get off now. And the, and the drummer just pulled my arm and said, no, nah, man, let's do another, just play me a groove. And I was just like, what? <laughs> what do you mean, play you a groove? And he was just like, just play, man, come on, I'm enjoying myself. Let's go, let's go. And I was like right next to him. So I was like right on his shoulder. And I just started playing and he was just like, oh, yeah. And then like he counted everyone in. And we just made up this like James Brownie sort of groove. And I was just like, oh my God, this is happening. Like this oh, is actually real. That sounds amazing. And it was, the, I hadn't tracked yet. So the, those two days were watching JJ set up and, and basically do some percussion stuff. And we hadn't started tracking. The next day we started tracking. And I remember going into the studio that day, sitting in the control room with JJ in the drum room and something had changed in me. I had a confidence that I would never have had if I hadn't had that moment. Wow. And I and I listened back to that album and I'm so proud of what I did on that album. It was, you know, I'm sure if I went back again now, I would do things differently. But like, it was the biggest moment of my life. A lot was riding on it. And 
something happened and I just I found that I could do this and I think after that I was like okay I think I've changed now I, I'm not like I'm brilliant I was like I can do this yeah. and I, it really changed me and I uh, I look back to those moments a lot and I've got a picture of JJ and I in the studio and it sits on my bedside table and I look at it sometimes when I'm feeling like I'm not a great player in it it's just like it's a nice reminder definitely Mate, yeah amazing. so it's just, I remember when you were over there because you FaceTimed me and I was like, dude, how's Because <laughs> yeah, you're a massive fan. Well, no, but I didn't really know that you were there because you didn't tell me because <laughs> yeah, yeah. you were busy tracking stuff. And I was yeah. like, mate, how's it going? Yeah. How's the session? Show me the studio. And you were like, I've got something for you. Yeah. And all of a sudden you leave the screen and JJ yeah, comes on the screen. <laughs> And obviously me being a massive fan, one of my favourite drummers, yeah. and I, he, he just starts, he's like, hey, John, how's it going? And I just froze. <laughs> I didn't know what to say. I was like, you know, so, I don't know, someone maybe, um, you know, someone, a fan of Rihanna and Rihanna comes on. That was me. I was fangirling hard. You were so funny. And I was like, yeah, man, um, how's the studio (laughs) (laughs) he's in there every week playing and but he was so lovely lovely. and um he gave he signed some sticks for you didn't he and gave them to me like what a lovely dude honestly like you know they say never meet your heroes but i think sometimes you should and like thing is with someone like jj you know we went and saw him i think it was like halfway through he was doing a jazz thing i didn't realize he was such a jazzer he's such a huge wow. fan of jazz and he's like i'm still working on it but like it's my passion we went to see him at the elephant bar i think it was a very like prestigious jazz club in austin <laughs> if that's him working oh on it god yeah it was a little trio man he killed it he killed it so hard and like he i think that one thing that you know British musicians could do more of is just hold each other up a bit more I think Mm. we should celebrate each other a bit more because the Americans have this thing of just so embracing of of people and like I think we're too afraid that we're going to be arrogant to say we're proud of ourselves and because we've got this weird stigma of like if I say I'm good at something someone's going to go oh it's a bit arrogant, isn't it? To enjoy yeah. what you do. Whereas the Americans are like, man, I'm killing it. Let's go more. You know? <laughs> and I'm like, yes, let's do more of that. Like, And I really learned a lot about personality in musicians in Austin because I was just walking around with the heavyweights of Austin and they're just like the most down-to-earth yeah. people. Like I met JJ every morning and he was like, we're getting breakfast tacos. And I was like, what is a breakfast taco? And he's like, we're going to this place. And I was just sat, I remember... Sat outside at like nine in the morning on a bench with JJ Johnson with a breakfast taco in my hand. He's like, oh, I've got to, yeah, sorry, I've got to take this. And he came back and he's like, yeah, that was just John. We're just sorting out the next rehearsals. And I was like, be cool, man. Be cool. (laughs) Who's John? Yeah. I was like, John, Mr. Mayor. (laughs) (laughs) Mr. Mayor. But it was amazing. And like, I'm watching him track, man, I... There are moments that I'll never forget watching. I was just like, oh, that's that's why you're so good. Mm. Because you do things like that. And it was just little things like, oh, I think we should change the kick pattern here. Or, oh, actually, I've got an idea for a percussion thing. And suddenly you're like, let's just change the whole song. Yeah. And the consistency of the tracking is like, you listen back and you're like, I've never heard anything so tight. But then also free and like with personality yeah. it was it was just incredible he's um, got quite a when you because remember you brought back the tracks like the isolated stems and he's very like yeah. laid back and i i remember listening to him thinking wow like that's not what i expected yeah. and then you put it in the mix 
with everything else and it just is it's like glue yeah. and they're so beautifully written all the parts are exactly where they should be yeah. I, I mean I was impressed yeah. he, he was amazing yeah. it was ridiculous it was so was, cool he was amazing and I, the other thing I really took away from it is how much he valued percussion yeah so <laughs> just, Mate, it changes just, the mix it's just this video I've got of just JJ with a shaker for four minutes and he's just it's literally the greatest day of his life and he's just doing this shaker back and forth and like snowshoes and stuff like that. And like, he just, we had a whole day of percussion tracking and I was just like, I was just quiet for most of that trip because I was like, I'm going to just listen Taking to it all in. everything that anyone says. And it was amazing. So that was, that was my, my, one of my favorite moments. And I think like, although I've had some really nice ones as well after that, it changed things for me, that moment. So that was, that was one of mine. That's amazing. Such a defining moment as well. And, and also in another, that's like, you know, when you think back uh, on that moment and we were living together at the time yeah. and you kind of flew off, I was thinking in the back of my mind, I was like, wow, like <laughs> that's one, that's super exciting. Two, I bet he's really nervous because nervous. there's a lot of pressure. You're going to a studio where those guys pretty much live. Yeah. You're going to another country and it's not just like you're going to Spain, you're going to the States. So it's a long flight. Yeah. You're playing parts that you've written to another yeah. bass player who is the producer. <laughs> yeah. That's that's a lot, man. And you obviously you went over there and you killed it. And yeah, that was tough. What a, an amazing experience. And the, what I love about that is we've got the tracks forever. Yes, that's what I love about that. It's like it's I can listen record. to that album and it's like okay, yeah, I can remember what that's like. That was that was really awesome. Mate, amazing. So what's your second one? So I, I mean, there's been I think with this right. So when we're kind of talking about these. This, these are just our, you know, ones that really stand yeah. out. But I, you know, I'm, I'm really proud that I, I think so far we've had a really, we've had good careers. And it, there's so many, there's, there's too many to mention, but I think these kind of stand out. So <clears throat> my second one is when I first got the gig with Holly Johnson. Yeah. And for those of you that don't know, Holly Johnson is one of the members of Frankie Goes to Hollywood. So we basically did all, all of the Frankie Goes to Hollywood um, songs. And Holly Johnson, because he was such a big gay icon yeah. and such a big icon in the gay community. His fan base, they they just adore, they worship him. Yeah. And he's got, because, you know, tracks like Two Tribes, <gasps> Relax, Pleasure Dome, The Power, Power of, of Love. Love. Come on. You know, they're such <gasps> That's my mum and dad's tracks. wedding song. They don't, had their first dance was to it that. really? Yeah, Power of Love. Yeah. My, I think it's my dad's favourite song. Mate, amazing. And... I basically, so I started doing a little bit of work with a bass player called Vincent Benjamin, who's amazing, a really close friend of mine and, and Ben's as well. And he does a lot of MDing for kind of a lot of the 80s artists. He's the 80s, he's yeah. the 80s guy, isn't he? For 100%. sure. 100%. And he, I mean, he's predominantly, he does a lot of work with Go West and he's an absolute monster and mm. I love him and he's, he's, he's such a lovely guy. And I remember just getting a call and he's like, hey man, like, do you fancy coming and doing these eight, this 80s session? And I was like, yeah, cool. Who is it? And he told me. And I was like, what? And I, I kind of, I was like, yeah, mate, you know, count me in. <laughs> yep. <laughs> Put the phone down. I was like, I, well, that was weird. I didn't really kind of compute. And then I sort of thought, fuck, that's Frankie Goes to Hollywood. The Frankie Goes yeah. to Hollywood. And we basically got booked to, we went into, um, I'm not sure if it's still there. I can't remember what it's called, but that, is that big rehearsal space in Putney. Oh, um, Henry, Henry, something Taylor's or something. I can't remember what it's called. It'll come to me in a minute. But we got booked in there and kind of, I think it was a week of rehearsal and we went in there and it's a proper production rehearsal. Yeah. So like, you know, 
like full rig. Yeah. Um, everything's marked up, all of our in-ears, and it's it's a it's a big deal. And I was like, oh, okay, it's like this. And then we started getting all our flights booked and stuff and getting our hotels booked and uh, the money was really good and it was just kind of a, a, a dream gig for mm. me, really. And then I remember we got to the gigs and they were big. Yeah. So I think the my favourite was Camp Festival. Yeah. Where's um, that again? I can't remember. <laughs> <laughs> it's somewhere it's in the countryside somewhere yeah. but camp festival and it's beautiful and one thing that was so iconic was that my parents were there and bless them it started raining and my mum and dad queued on the front row of about i don't know 15,000 people outside in the rain to watch me and it was a really good gig, really good gig. Yeah. And afterwards, because we had um, tour buses like to and from the festival, my mum and dad got invited back to the tour bus. Oh, that's amazing. And they really got on. So <clears throat> Nikki, who was Holly's manager, she's lovely. And she just really sort of got on with my mum and dad. And my of dad course. was like having beers on the bus and stuff. Oh, he and must have loved that. loving it. He, and he, he still mentions, he's like, how's Nikki? I'm like, she's great. She's really cool. Amazing. And um, I think it was just, again, it was another moment. I'm, you know, I hold, my, my parents are my idols and they've um, they've always supported me. There's and a I, running theme in these is. stories of how your yeah. parents, I, I really, I love that. It's just, I think because they... You know, you know what it's like when you're first coming up through the ranks of you know, trying to be a musician. You know, it, it really does help if you've got supportive parents. Oh, and, yeah. you know, they, they weren't like, oh, you want to be a drummer? Why don't you go and get a real job? It was yeah. like they were there from day one and they just they knew it was what I loved and they were there to support me. So when they're ever there, it's like, you know, they've come to see me at the Jazz Cafe in Camden Loads. And it's just when they're there, it's just a real big yeah. night. And we have a lot of drinks afterwards and it's a celebration. And it's just lovely to see their faces and like you know, this is what I've yeah. kind of accomplished, I suppose. So it's lovely. It must be amazing for them. Like, you know, I obviously we don't have kids yet, but like I think being able to see your children, first of all, succeeding is a lovely feeling. Mm -hmm. But doing something they love mm. and succeeding and just kind of only seeing positives in what that's bringing them, that must be amazing for Nick and Wendy. Yeah. Dad Sorry, that wasn't um, me crying. That was me. My my dad so always nice. goes, "What's he say, he's saying?" He goes, um, "You you get back what you put in." Yeah, and I was so like, true, man. That's, that's lovely. It's really nice. I'm sure, like you know, we don't know the future, but like, let's say our kids do become musicians. Maybe they won't. Um, we'll probably have those moments, or you know, go and see them at a a ballet thing or a karate thing or even I don't know bloody spoken word poetry I don't, yeah. I don't give a shit I just want them to be happy so no I think that's that's beautiful man that's really really lovely man I tell you that Two Tribes song is a fucking great song man those tracks the bass line on that drop D one of, one of the best pop dance bass lines of all all time and that line is what golden age it's so good i wish i was 10 years older so i could have been 10 years older than i was in the 80s yeah because i'm an 80s is my is my jam it's just like the song right and also we had um so our uh monitor engineer bishop yeah he is such a legend and just lovely guy and my in-ears were so good so when we were playing i was just like 
this is amazing. Like, but it just sounded so fat in my ears, and I was like, oh, this is the greatest thing ever. Just playing these wicked tunes, and there's we we run a lot of track with that um, yeah. with Holly as well. So for Power of Love, all the strings, yeah. The, all the big arrangements and there's it's, a bit who is no, it? it's, it's the no. the super famous person who did all the strings isn't it on that album like it's the guy yeah what's I his know. name oh I have to get it yeah keep, keep schmoogle it I'll schmoogle it whilst we're thinking about it um, but yeah it's just to, to play I think what I love about playing with Holly especially is that one he's so lovely two those songs are so iconic and also the band is cooking man like everyone's doing exactly what they should with the track behind you as well, everything looks and um, sounds so full. And Trevor Horn, Trevor Horn, of course, course it is. is. Yeah, of course it is. I think he played bass or, or wrote the bass line to that oh, or wow. something. I've seen a video of him with a bass doing something about two tribes. Nice. And I was like, oh, that's very cool. Yeah. And, I was, and the other thing as well, after we finished, so we were joint headline, madness went on. Oh. So, da, what, da, so we, da, 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 mate, they're amazing. Da, da. They're great. I got to watch them. I remember when we used to live in Camden. Um, obviously, when I when I used to, used to live at that time in Ealing, because then I joined you afterwards. Yes. When Nick and I used to live in Camden, um, Suggs, yeah, all the time outside the Enterprise. Yeah, literally, I go, oh, hi, mate, and he's like, all right, boys. Like, just <laughs> literally, just <laughs> everything you expect him to be, he is like that, and one of the nicest people. And I was just like, this is so cool. I was like, oh, had a bit of a London moment there. I was like, oh, I just came out for a pint and Suggs from Madness is here and he's just a normal dude. It was, yeah, wicked man. I love Madness. That's a band I'd like to see actually on my list. We should do bucket list gigs for one of our questions. Ooh. You're welcome. Um, just be Toto for me again, mate. Yeah. Just Toto. <laughs> Toto always, and Mayo. Toto. Just moving between Toto <laughs> and Mayo. Uh, right, so... My second one is quite recent. It was last year. Um, so from a couple of episodes ago when I spoke about kind of falling in love with the style of bass playing that I wanted to do, which was working with artists, mm-hmm. through that I fell in love with song and arrangement. Like I, I Sometimes I enjoy doing MD stuff more than playing bass, and that is just because I've fallen in, fallen in, in, fallen in love with arrangement and music. And, and that's what working with songwriters gave to me I never had that before I didn't really give a shit I just wanted to play bass and then I was like oh that's a great song like that's amazing like I never really thought about song and what that meant um so like a few years ago I was like I really want to be an MD and I really just want to help artists like take a song that might be just like a piano demo or a guitar demo or whatever and turn it into something really special but I didn't have a lot of contacts and, you know, I I knew it wasn't going to be like a professional thing and get given a massive gig or anything like that. So I thought, well, I'll do what I want to do, which is go look for people and say, look, I love your music. Do you have an MD? Do you have anything for your live shows? And I thought, well, you know, I'll put myself out there. That's what I want to do. And I met this artist, Hattie Keen. God, when did I meet Hattie? Before lockdown, way before lockdown, maybe three or four years ago now. And I saw her music and I was like, whoa, this voice is next level. She's one of the best live singers I've ever seen. Wow. Absolutely, without a doubt. Like her consistency is just unbelievable. And um, so we worked together for a bit and she was just looking for a bass player originally. And I met the management team and I said, oh, 
know, do you have an MD? Because I, you know, I really love this music. I think I could probably do some really cool arrangements with you. And um, so I got on the, that gig straight away. And then last year we did Wayfest, which is a really lovely festival in in the UK. Um, and uh, it was my first kind of MDing, getting it together, putting it on the show. And we were on a quite an early slot, so we we're kind of like, oh, okay, you know, it's fine. But then halfway through the set everyone was coming in and sort of the numbers went up and at the end the um organizer was like right well we need to apologize because we can't believe you were on so early like next year you're back we'll have you on like you know right towards the top that was amazing and I was just like and she's been working very hard like I've only known her for a small part of her career she's so hard working and I could see she was obviously over the moon but I was just like it was just so amazing I also took um I made a band of of um, alumni students. I was like, Do you know what? I'm a bit of an older, you know, I'm 35, and I think that Hattie needs a younger looking band out there. So I thought, Do you know what? I know some really good student players, and I reckon if I give them this opportunity, they're going to rise to it. And they absolutely smashed it. And I was just so proud of them. But also, I was like, you know, we didn't have long to get this together as well. So I was like, Oh, right, I'm going to have to really put my money where my mouth is here and, you know, really say I'm going to do this and do it well. I was so proud of it. And I listened back to it. And I was like, wow, that was that was really good. Hey, the video sounded good. Yeah, I mean, it was her. I mean, yeah, it's, no, literally, no, you, she's amazing. She was great, but the band sounded wicked and, like, everyone was really together and the arrangements were cool. I remember you sending me that video. And yeah, I was like, it was fun. cool, man. It was really fun. And I just kind of, like, because of, like, with education and stuff, obviously, like, you know, I have made some decisions to gig less than I would normally. And, like... But it means I can gig where I want to because the money, most of my income at the moment is coming from education. So, like, you know, I'm not bound by having to always do gigs. But it means I can go, well, that's not great money, but it's a great gig. Mm. And I really love that. So, yeah, I was really, really proud of the team last year and, like, just felt, it's just felt like a win. Do you know what I mean? Like a gig where you're like, oh, this is my rep, you know, reps on the line. And I feel really proud of it. So that was, and we're going back, obviously, this year, which would be really nice. Gutted because it was um, Frank Ocean was on the night oh, before. I love Frank Not Ocean. Frank Ocean, the other one, Billy Ocean. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> a slight difference, slight difference there. Uh, Although Billy Ocean, absolutely yeah. amazing. Get out of my dreams. What a good tune. tune, great tune. Uh, but yeah, so there we go. So that's that. Over to you for the next one, which is kind of shared by both of us actually. But I've got I've got another one that came to mind. So, well, I was I was actually gonna. What were you gonna do? I was gonna talk about Philip Morgan Lewis. Oh. For a bombshell in Oh, there. Philip. So... I wonder if he ever hear this. I hope he does. Yeah, I hope he does. So basically, after myself and Ben met and we started doing a few sort of gigs and sessions together, I went for an audition with this artist called Philip Morgan Lewis. And I can't remember how I heard about it, but I heard about this audition, went, and I ended up getting it. And he's... Phil is just such a lovely guy and he's just got... It, when you kind of speak to him, he's got so many different accents. Oh, it's like amazing. he's kind of got heritage everywhere, and he's he's travelled a lot, and he's so unique. Yeah, and he's he's a little bit crazy as well, which I love. Oh, and he, he would openly that. admit yeah. that he is. Yeah, and so we got this gig, and you know, started playing and stuff. And in the end, I think the bass player left or whatever, and I was like, look, you know, if you need a bass player, I've got the guy. So I got Ben in, mm. and. We started uh, doing a few shows together and stuff, and it was really cool. And then we ended up recording with him. And I was thinking about this the other day, and what I really loved about that time, and it's not just like one particular gig or anything, this is more of like a kind of a time in, yeah. you know, in, in our careers, 
was we were kind of playing for this artist that we absolutely loved. It was kind of like bluesy, kind of soul yeah, pop. Yeah, it was wicked. I was playing music with my best friend. We were going into some really amazing recording studios yeah. in London and getting paid for it. Yeah. And I remember some of those studio sessions. It was like, you know, we hadn't been in London for that long and we were in the evening. It's like, right, we're going to the studio now. So we'd, we'd like do a session all day. And in the evening, Phil would bring in pizza and beers. Oh, so good. And we just hang... And that was like, I, I remember sort of like thinking about that the other day and like reminiscing. And it was just such a, a beautiful time for me because we, it was just everything that I dreamed of. Yeah. And, it, and it was so much like so many good vibes, good music, good feelings yeah. and just good friends. And it was like, that was a real high point for me I in London. I totally agree with that. I, that was, yeah, I think it was the second or third session we did where he was doing his third album or whatever it was we we just went in there and it everything worked that day yeah. it was and i was like this sounds really great like i was so proud of it and i think because we were just playing together all the time yeah. and we just lived with each other we were always with each other and then we'd walk into a studio and play and it was like well that's our friendship on tape and i love that I, in fact i need to dig out i had it on my old laptop so if you've got those old ones somewhere i'd love to hear them i'll try and find them. some really i've got karma come down and stuff like that but yeah. i haven't got the older ones there was a middle session we did with some great stuff i was do you know it's funny you say that i was thinking of the guitarist on that gig rob up to graph yeah up up a graph or up to graph or something i follow him on rob, insta yeah. still but he's, man, he's killing it but he was killing it at the time yeah. but like that was such a cool band because it was just us it was a trio um because there was no keys back then was there it was a, no just just was us just, three was, and, yeah. and phil yeah, that's it. And I was like, yeah, that was cool. That was that was a lovely moment. That it was, was really, nice memories there. It was nice as well because I think Phil, and maybe we'll do an episode on this, but like Phil really appreciated that I brought you in. Yeah. And he could instantly tell that it worked as a rhythm section because we'd played together before. And I, I remember sort of recording some of those songs and like you going into the studio and tracking and Phil was like, yeah, it just works. Yeah. And that was really lovely for me that I'd been able to, one, yeah. give you some work. 100%. But two, that you just come in and smashed it and Phil could see that relationship. And yeah. I think like, again, like we've said on many different episodes, if you find someone that you enjoy playing with and you have a connection with, it does translate oh, gotcha. into live and studio work. 100%. And I remember those sessions were really tough because mm. and again i'm sure phil wouldn't mind us saying this but like phil has got a very particular thing of what he wants but sometimes doesn't always have the words to communicate it so he was very um vocal in how he sung he basically sung ideas to us which as a rhythm section is always interesting because you're like oh, I see what you're doing there. And then you play it and he's like, oh no, it's nothing like that. I'm like, well, that was the rhythm you just sung, but that's fine. <laughs> and then you play something else and you're like, okay. And one thing I love about working with artists is that back and forth. Because like when I work with you, I can just say, right, <laughs> it's on the E of three, crashing on the, like, and we just know what it is. And it's just like driving a car you've driven the whole life. It's super comfortable. But then sometimes you're like, oh, okay. I'm not sure what you mean by that, but I love it. So let's figure it out together. And I remember like a couple of those songs, I remember Phil was like, so I've got this, which was nothing. It was basically a line and a bit of acoustic guitar. And we were like, okay, um, how about this sort of feel? And it was like, it was growing. I mean, we were writing. 
you know, that was probably one of the first sessions where we wrote together. Yeah. Because we played a lot in terms of, like, play this part, like, learn this part. But, like, that was very much like, this is basically a non-fleshed-out idea. What do you think we could do with it? Or he had a demo, but it was, like, MIDI drums and, like, really mm. basic bass. And we were like, actually, maybe this sort of feel. Yeah, I, I was, I totally agree with you. Those were really good times. But it was also like we Great were times. writing under the microscope mm. because it wasn't like we were writing in a live sense. We were writing in the studio. On studio so time. In studio Money time. is being paid yeah. here. Yeah, and, totally. Also, it was being recorded. So <laughs> you could, if I lay down something and then you put something over the top, it would just be repeated in the yeah. control booth on loop. Yeah. And Phil would be like listening to it, picking out all the little yeah. bits. And I remember there was, there was a couple of studio sessions where we'd go in and I'd put a drum beat down and he'd be like, John, I think it needs a bit more like boom, boom, pow. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's like, but it's like, you know, we talk about, our, we talk to our students about this, you know, writing for artists where maybe they haven't got the vocab to explain what yeah. they need from yeah. the song. But I sort of quickly got to know what Phil wanted from what he was saying. Yeah. And sometimes that was just a f- noise, like yeah. sound effects. Yes, yeah, absolutely. I mean. Yeah, 100%. I, th- I think it's, um, and again, like we could have, been a bit arsehole there and been like well sorry what do you mean like you're not using the musical language like you you can see how someone could have gone down that path but I was like hang on a minute this is just great like we'll just keep figuring it out and like I, rem- I can't remember which session it was but I remember it was towards the end when I think we did Karma Come Down or something like that the album I remember him saying he's like okay Ben you're gonna come over and do some tracks and I was just like yeah 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 so he invited me over at three in the afternoon, I think it was. It was just after lunchtime. And he's like, so we're going to do nine tracks today. Yeah. And I was like, what? What do you mean nine tracks? I was like, but what, what music, Phil? He's like, oh, I'll play it to you now. And I was like, what? And I remember that day and I was like, I got to track nine and I was like, okay, I, I, I've, I've got so much in my head right now. I do, if I move, it's going to fall out. And you know, he would always change his mind each mm-hmm. take. So you'd be like, no, no. So he's going to put that. Uh, okay. Yep. Cool. All right. Off we go. And it was just me and him. You'd already done the drums. And I was like, okay, I've got to find some zen in this. But what I loved about that, being pushed in that way, I played stuff I've never played before and probably will never play again because I was so wired he was like no no not that and i'm like okay yep new idea uh, uh, no not that okay um what about this and then he was like yeah that one and i'm like okay what the fuck did i just play can't remember what that was um okay and then of course after a while you're like okay working under this pressure is bringing out new parts of my playing and i listen back and i'm like i can't really that believe that's me not, mm. not it's so good i can't believe it's me it's like i can't believe it's me because it's not what i would normally have played and I remember moments when I listen, I go, yeah, I remember him saying to me, like, I really wanted to be like, and I was like, no. And he's like, no, nothing like that. I'm like, okay. Uh, <laughs> but then I came out with something and then he was like, yeah, that. And I just thought, yeah, that's mad. And if you're out there, mate, yeah. Phil, reach out. Like Sweet you've Phil. got you've got our handles and stuff. We would love to stay in touch. Like honestly, and, and thank you for that time because mm. you really were a big part of our development at that time. Oh, I'm glad you mentioned Phil Morgan. Mate, it's such a lovely memory. I I can actually do one better than that. Oh no, don't make me from cry. a uh, no from a from a, from a Philip Morgan Lewis writing session. So oh, which one? I the last one I did with him. Yeah, and this is not why it was the last yeah. one. Yeah. <laughs> 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 The last one. The last one. <laughs> I remember um, 
he booked me for the studio session yeah. and we agreed a price and stuff like that. And then I was waiting for him to send me the tracks so I could prep the tracks. I remember this now. And no <laughs> tracks ever arrived. And I was like, this is weird. And he got to the day of the recording session and we were basically doing like an afternoon right the way up until midnight. <laughs> and we were going to do an album in, well, not an album, but like, I think it was eight tracks. It was it was almost Still an album. a lot of tracks. In one evening. So I was like... I don't know what I'm going to be doing. I have no idea what this album, it could be death metal for all I know. And we got in the studio and I brought like a selection of snares just in case, because I knew he liked his sort of yeah. different snare sounds for different tracks and stuff. And, and my, my breakables and stuff, because I was using the, um, this beautiful vintage, uh, I think it was uh Gretsch kit or something like that. Yeah, I think it was, it was. beautiful. Yeah, it was beautiful. And, um, I got in there. I was like, Phil, what's, what's going on, man? Like, have you got the tracks for me? And he went, we're just going to write them. And I was like, you, you're, you're joking. joking. <laughs> we, we've got to do eight tracks and you don't even know what the tracks are. So basically, I, I was like, okay. So I set up and he went to play a groove. So I started I playing that, groove though. and he started writing and we wrote eight tracks in, I think I had to go back and do a few, but pretty much in a day. That's amazing. And he had no idea what these tracks were. And he basically just put things down and then he cut stuff up and, yeah. ed- and did like all the overdubs and edited it. But it was mental. And towards the end, I, I wouldn't really recommend that to anyone because yeah. I, it was pretty stressful. Yeah. And but they sound great. He, he sent me the um, you know the eight tracks afterwards, and they were great. They were really cool. I liked what he'd done with them. But it was like it wasn't the yeah the best experience. No. It, but like. I suppose it was very similar to what it was like in the 60s and 70s. Mm. You just got into a room and made music. And yeah. then someone, you know, put it to tape. And that was that. Like, yeah. oh, that's a really lovely memory. That as I'm, I'm gleaming over here thinking about those days. They were good times. So should we, should we now move on? Because that was kind of a joint one. That was a joint one. Should we, should we move on to the best bits? So, so by, by best bits, I mean the worst, worst bits. bits. Okay. So, I think again, start, we're gonna mate. we're gonna put we're gonna put a disclaimer out here that we are not gonna obviously name anyone. We're not gonna throw shade on any musicians or anything like that because that's not cool. But we are gonna say as much as we possibly can without doing that because some of these are. Man, these memories are are strong and deep, <laughs> and and some of them are kind of you know like from the past with other musicians and some of them are us (laughs) so it's just like a collective of horrible horrible moments in the music industry oh my god you go first mate so i yeah (laughs) so i think and i i am yet to be disproven by this yet obviously there are you know function playing functions and corporate gigs are a really good way to make money as a musician you know mostly they're paid better than artist gigs unless it's really big artists and it's just a great way to start working you know it's not like if you're if you're a surgeon you can't just do a bit of surgery on the side to kind of practice <laughs> i'll just do your little brain biopsy for you there no but it's like you can go off and cut your teeth on the circuit and you can really enjoy it but you do have to take it seriously and after us running, you know, Revelry, our, our trio, and like having great success with it, but a lot of work, I definitely did not start that world in the best mindset. I thought I was pretty shit hot at that time. I was young and I thought, yeah, I got this. 25 songs, I can learn 25. I mean, it's only the bass, who cares? And I remember we were doing this wedding. And <laughs> the other thing is with me, I had this thing back then where I just. 
I was a bit I was a bit chaos. Like I didn't get things sorted very quickly. I was a bit scatty if I was, I was very scatty. And I was just a bit I was a bit of a pain in the ass, really. I think if anyone knew that, anyone who knew me back there was like, he's a nice guy, but he's a bit of a pain in the ass. And I remember I had this old Mark base rig. Oh, I remember this. Oh my god. And I I actually it was it was brand new. Like it was a really new rig and it was great. And then one day it just didn't quite work. And when I say it didn't work, it just created the most offensive sound. It was like, <laughs> like at the loud, louder than you think the amp could go, this sound could do it. <laughs> and I remember we were on the Bowtown gig at the time and it happened in rehearsal and then I had to get a new cab and you were like, you are going to fix that. Man. I was like, yeah, no worries, mate. Of course I will. So then obviously didn't do that. And then we were doing this wedding and um, the... <laughs> The first dance was Wonderful Tonight by Eric Clapton, which obviously <laughs> has the most iconic guitar sound. And the bass is just super gentle and beautiful. It's Nathan East. It's one of his finest, most wonderful, simple parts. And I went to play the first note and it just blew up. It just went... And it just, I couldn't stop it. I didn't know how to turn it off. I was panicking. I thought my lead had come out. This is someone's first dance. Everyone is looking at me. And it's the loudest, most offensive sound that's ever come out of a bass amp. And I'm looking around and you're not very happy. Nick is not very happy. (laughs) And I'm like, I don't know what's going on. And after that, well, first of all, I remember that the guy who was the father of the bride was friends with Clapton at some point and my god did he love to tell that yeah, story he had his little picture of him and he's like he took Nick our our vocalist and guitarist into a room and was like who's that pointing to a picture who's that and Nick was like Eric Clapton he went who's next to him I was like I think it's you he <sighs> went is it you exactly so yeah I was like Okay, you're that sort of person. Brilliant. And then, so it was that kind of energy as well from it. And then I was like, okay, that was very embarrassing. And I don't think I made many friends that night. And after that night, I was like, I've got to take this seriously. I've got to go learn the songs. I've got to sort my gear out. And I've just got to realize that I can't blag my way through it. And I really appreciate that. But that moment where I couldn't stop that noise in someone's first dance, and they, it was so clear it was coming from me. They're just looking at me thinking you're ruining my day second by second by being alive and I was like oh that one hurt and then I was just like yeah I've got to sort that out so that that was definitely one of the worst yeah definitely one of the worst I I, I agree it was it was just so there was it was complete silence <laughs> and then this and just so like sort of you know a very chilled ballad and it's like their first dance marrying the love of your life and there's just this uh, in the background it was so oh bad. My God. It was, it was so one bad. of the loudest noises I've ever heard in my yeah. life. But yeah, that's that to be fair though, mate. That was that was when we first super early. Yeah, we first started gigging. So we basically <laughs> been gigging with a function band where we were just kind of booked as yeah. musicians. And this was the these this was like one of the first gigs where we set up our own PA. Yeah, we went out there completely on our own. And I remember back to those gigs. Like now we just do it with our eyes closed. But yeah. like you know, I remember looking back on those gigs thinking. Wow, we were like really out oh, so of depth. green, so and, green, and, and and sort of yeah, and just a bit naive to it, and it's but it really made us because we were like right, I'm definitely not going to do that again, yeah, you know, and it's you, these little things you learn along the way, right? Definitely, 
definitely. Was that also the gig where you didn't bring your sticks? Yes. And our keyboard player said, well, why don't you just play some spoons? Thanks, mate. Thanks, mate. <laughs> it's not... Do- mate, that was, uh, that was basically... That we was got that, that gig was awful. <laughs> we, I basically... I, I had my, my sticks were in my stick bag, and for some reason, I think I was teaching the night before, I'd taken them out of my hardware bag and left them in the kitchen and then just not picked them up. So I remember getting to the gig... Um, going to set up and it's that like squeaky bum moment where you undo the hard bag. It's like, where are my sticks? Oh. And I was like, oh no. So I went back to the car, not anywhere in the car. And then, you know, I can just see them in the kitchen. And I was like, no, 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 no. Yeah. And we didn't have long. I think we had about an hour. So I went on to, I think it was like Gumtree. I think it was Gumtree. Yeah. Facebook or something like something, that. And I just Googled local drum teacher yeah. and this guy was like half an hour down the road and I rang him up and I was like you're right mate can I buy some sticks off you and bless him I, I drove over and he sold me some sticks and um, yeah and then I came back and had one pair of sticks mate so, thinking about that now such good thinking on your part because at that point all the shops are closed yep. so how are you going to get drumsticks well teachers will still be on their mobile very smart I've, Thanks, I've never really thought about that not, until now not, uh, not very smart I'm not bringing my sticks no <laughs> Thanks, but nice save though. Yeah. So, so really, that was a joint one there. Another joint one. Um, I mean, it just says Liverpool here. Should you you take it from there? Dear God. So this this, one of my favourite stories. Yeah, this is a real. This one will. will, This this is (laughs) in my mind the worst gig I've ever done. Full stop. There is nothing. Nothing will ever overtake this. It is so bad. So basically, um. Our best friend, uh, Nick Ferry, who's a, an amazing vocalist, uh, well, oh, multi-instrumentalist, um, and he's basically the, the, the singer-guitarist in our trio. And I knew Ben, and I didn't actually know that Nick lived with Ben. And I was doing a function gig, and Nick, I think it was like his first gig with that band, or maybe, yeah. we'd, done, maybe we'd done a few. It was think, early, wasn't it? I think we'd done maybe two together. <laughs> And I, I found out that Nick lived with you. Yeah, that was funny as well. And also, I'd I'd slept in his bed <laughs> because you lived together, yeah. and I'd stay around yours. And he when wasn't he wasn't there, there. Yeah. and it was just yeah, that's a whole thing. But um, basically, it was I think it was our third gig together, and it was me on drums, a bass player, a keyboard player, and then Nick was singing, playing guitar. And the keyboard player run this band, and he put a load of new songs in. And also, I think they were in slightly different keys just because I think Nick had done a lot of gigs yeah. and we you know, wanted to sort of bring the key down. I'd done a gig the night before in Cardiff and I'd driven from Cardiff to Liverpool. The guys had done another gig before. I think we were all quite tired. Um, I was probably a little hungover as well. <laughs> and we got there and we, we went to set up and the DJ was there and he's like, oh, you can just plug into my PA. So we plugged in and... We start doing this first set, right? And the bride, no, it was someone's party. And the lady whose party it was, not a lot of her friends had turned up. So she was already pissed off. (laughs) And I, obviously being a drummer, I've got no power over what key the guys are playing in. And the keyboard player, who shall not be named, basically transposes everything. So they all start playing in different keys. And it was very evident that 
none of them really knew the songs and Nick will admit this you know he, oh, yeah. he hadn't he hadn't prepped enough and yeah. obviously I think now Nick can just pick something up like that yeah. but playing guitar and singing oh my god yeah it's a really real tri- uh, tricky job and the thing was that was even worse no one was really communicating to each other so in the end I was like someone pick a fucking key like, I, I was just playing these songs and when I say it was a disaster it was the worst thing ever so much so <laughs> that the bride, I'm um, sorry, the, the the lady whose party it was, came over and told us to stop. Oh, that's the worst. And then the DJ grassed us up for not using our MPA system. Yes, he did. Little snake. So Ooh, he went cheeky. over to her and was like, oh, and by the way, they used my PA system. And I was like, you little bastard. And it was <laughs> it was so bad <laughs> And basically, we went back to... So we stopped the first set, and then she just basically said, don't bother coming back on. And she rung the agency up, complained, and I was just sat in my car thinking, what the fuck has just happened? And Nick always said, like, from it was another sort of defining moment, right? He he was just like, I'm never going to do that again. And I did, to be fair, yes, Nick hadn't prepped enough, but the guys hadn't either. And it was just... No one knew what was going on. No one was communicating. And it was like four people on stage just not really playing together. It was was awful. And I never, ever (sighs) want to experience that. And that was a real, like, green moment, I think, for everyone. You know, it was... was, Uh, You know when a song feels like it goes on for an hour... It was Valerie, wasn't it? That was the one that Nick said is that didn't I think so. I think so. It was the worst. And then, like, people were stopping in different places. I, at one point, I, I remember screaming to the bass player, and I was like, somebody make a decision. Like, what, pick a key. <laughs> and the thing is that I think was really tricky was because the keyboard player mm. wasn't the best, and he was transposing everything. <clears throat> he didn't really have no. the, the know it, no. you know, the, the sort of the know how to like change. Whereas Nick and the bass player, I said, I shouted to the keyboard player, I was like, just stop playing. Yeah. And then Nick and the bass player could have You've come to a decision, yeah. but it was just chaos and. Mate, it was awful. It was awful. And of course, you've then got to drive back oh. from Liverpool with that feeling. I mean, and mate, I was on my own. Oh. So Nick went with the keyboard player. Oh yeah, which, which went well. Which went well. <laughs> oh my god. And I was just. I remember. So what? From Liverpool to London. That's a long drive. You're looking at like what four or five hours. Yeah. And it was. You know, I don't think I got back till five in the morning. And I, the whole journey home, I was just just in silence, just like not like it was awful. It was awful. Oh my god! I think you have to go through those gigs sometimes. I think particularly in functions as well, like because you never know what you're going to get with functions, you know. And yeah. you will start off small, so you'll have to do some of the rougher gigs, and you yeah. just have to like. I'm a big believer in that. You do have to really fuck it up to go. Mm. Okay, don't want to ever feel like that again. So I'm good. It's on me now. I need to sort that out. Oh, yeah, you man. can't see me, but I my tears in my eyes because that just it's just just I know how bad it yeah. was from the way you've described it, and we, we've all been there where it's like this is just awful. Everything mm. about this, and when just someone tells you please stop, you know it's like oh it's over, it's over. But I, th- I think as well, looking back, you know, with sort of the experience we have now, it was it would would have been so easily fixable oh you could have easily fixed it but because we just didn't know how to at the time and especially when you're under pressure it's just yeah it's it was just woeful yeah Yeah. that's that's a good one again if you've got ones please send them to us because we we love a bad gig story god i love to read those 
Okay, let's move on to one that was also jointly bad for for different reasons. I mean, oh god, I've never been as unwell as I was on oh, this I know gig. What you're say. So, we as our trio went over to Nice in the south of France, which, if you haven't done, I highly recommend. It's a beautiful part of the world, and we did this residency gig at a very famous bar, and. We thought, yeah, five days in Nice in 35 degrees, playing decent money, drink, yeah, the whole shebang. Yeah, we're up for that. That sounds wicked. Seven days, mate. Seven, oh, seven days. A week. <laughs> a week. Oh, God, I <laughs> told you everything that I've remembered. And, you know, we got the good information. Like, it's a busy bar, you know, sort of um, touristy bar, and they're into the rock, and, like, you know, we did that really well. And we're like, yeah, we're going to fit in really well here. Nothing. And I mean nothing prepared me for that first night. I've I've never seen it like that. So first of all, the room, I would say, is not the biggest. But my God, they literally, was no air left. There were so many people. And if you just imagine those, like, boozed up Brits abroad shows where you've just got the drunkest people in the world. It was a room full of that. Chaos utter chaos and stage was tiny thank god we were a trio because if you're a four piece you would just know one person's gonna fall off that stage and as soon as they came in and we were like about 10 minutes from going on i was like okay this is this is serious like this is gonna go off people are jumping on the tables you know like screaming at the top of their voices so we did that first gig and it was, I've never seen anything like it. It was carnage. It was like people had gone feral. It was amazing. But my God. And then we drank, well, we drank so much on stage. It was just Jaeger bomb after Jaeger bomb mm-hmm. between every song. And then we went out into Nice and got absolutely hammered. And that was day one yeah. of seven days. What happened after day one. <laughs> well, so, so basically, so when we when we got that call, so I remember our agent at the time, so Dave, yeah, our agent, Dave, yeah. I remember he he sort of like sold this gig to me. And do you remember we 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 got our flights booked and we, we had quite an early flight and we got there in the morning yeah. and we met all the team in the bar and then they showed us to our accommodation. Oh, the accommodation. And it was called the band flat. It was like a, a cave. Like there was, yeah. there was no ventilation we were all sleeping in like this in one room in these sort of bunk beds. Oh, the bathroom was just, oh, I mean, they've, I think they've renovated it since. Yeah. But when we first went there, it was just awful. And you can, you can imagine like what's happened in there being the oh. band flat, like from all the bands before. Also bearing in mind, it was the middle of summer. So hot. In the south of France. So hot. And when we went down to the venue like when we I mean when we were playing so I think our set times were like nine until quarter to ten and then like half ten till half eleven or whatever yeah. and I I could barely hold my sticks yeah, so I like sweat. my top came off in the in the first song because it was dripping and also the gear like that that monitor had had so much beer spilt in it that I just didn't work anymore oh I so remember like, the smell of the, the 58 <laughs> was awful the oh. drums were battered the cymbals had cracks in them like it was it was so much fun but it was absolute chaos wasn't it and i think when like when we were playing the dehydration and we we drunk so much so much and then not sleeping properly and i remember the second night we were on stage and 
we're just playing and stuff and you know it's absolute chaos again everyone's in, encouraged to like stand on the tables the amount of people that fell off oh, those tables just, was yeah, insane madness and i remember seeing this girl and this guy like making out oh yeah and having a bit of a smooch up and basically they start coming towards the stage and the girl sits on the side of the stage so she's facing the audience oh and opens her legs oh my god it was so I and the guy comes over and they're like smooching and I was like and she was pretty hammered as well yeah. and I remember shouting to Nick and I was like dude just keep an yeah. eye on that because it was making me a bit uncomfortable yeah, yeah. she was shit faced she was and then she like starts kind of pulling her knickers oh, it aside was, it was next level and I was like whoa 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 What's whoa whoa and we were just about to stop, weren't we? And her friends her over cottoned and, on yeah. what was going on. And I was like, <laughs> I was like, what is what is happening? This, this is, is day two. This is day two. Oh this my is God. madness. And I think because, like, basically because we drunk every Everything. day and, and <laughs> half of Nice and yeah. no sleep and bad ventilation and dehydration, we were so ill by the last day. I think well, we, well, you, you had a so, chest infection, didn't no, you? Well, no. So what... <laughs> So, yeah, this went on. So we got to, like, day six, and in the day, it was just so hot. It was so hot. So we went onto the beach, and I was just an idiot. I just sat in the sun yeah. for, like, five hours in 36-degree heat with a bit of sun cream and no hat. So I was like, it got to sort of, like, I don't think we left the beach at, like, three or four in the afternoon. When I got back to the band flat, I thought, oh, I really don't feel great. I feel really bad. And you know what heat stroke feels like. And I was like, oh, yeah, I remember what happened. oh, I really don't feel good about this. And then it was like, I've got to play tonight. What? And you also, do you remember your brother came out? Oh, yeah, of course. Us, my brother was with he, us. And he left the key in oh, the band flat. My so we God, couldn't get back yes, in. I forgot about that. So we were locked <laughs> out as well. And I was like, you know, when you're so ill, you're like, I'm not sure I can do this. Because it's like your body is like, no, 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 you might die. And I remember getting on stage that night and holding the bass. And I was like, this might be it. This might be my death. I might die tonight because I'm just so unwell. Nice. You know when you can't move because if you move, you feel even more nauseous. I was like, okay, I've just got to get through two sets. And I remember just staying still on that last night, just sort of staring into nothingness. Play, I, I don't know what it sounded like. I, I have no idea. And then we went home the next day. I was ill for about two weeks. I was, and I, and you know, that band flat probably poisoned me, mold oh, the lot. 100%. But that was, wow, that was an experience of a week. And, but I still yeah. would not change a damn thing. It was so much fun. And, and also, chaos. Mate, chaos. But like, again, it was, you know, we were young. We were young. Oh, it was so much fun. Imagine if you had to do that now. I'd no. be like, I'd be in bed by. After the gig, I'll be in my PJs with a peppermint tea. I'll be like, I'm not going out at yeah, all. Yeah, I'm like sharing a room with you. No fucking way. I'm, <laughs> oh, that's <laughs> no, Oh, I see. Not my own room. Yeah. I want my own bed. Such a no, I'm joking, I'm joking. But it's like, yeah. you know, I think as well, uh, <laughs> with that, that really made us. Because yeah. going into an environment where it's so chaotic and people are just looking at you going, entertain me on a night Oh, yeah, out. so you are like a performing monkey. Exactly. And the sound is so bad yeah. 
like after that i was like you know what we can we can do this anywhere because with when people you know there's drinks everywhere it's it's people trying to get on stage it was chaos but we still did our thing yeah i was like you know what we we got this now like that was a really pressured environment it was it was a trial by fire i think actually they loved us we got really good feedback i think you know when you're young and you can do it I say do it. Go no, go and 100%. see where like your boundaries are of your playing and see what it's like because there's not many gigs that you can do that. You can't go because, you know, obviously health and safety for first mm. of all, I don't think there was really much of that. No way. So it's like, you know, nothing on earth can prepare you for that. But it, I also was like, are we even still alive? Like I felt like I'd gone to a different place. It was just people flying around the room mm. and playing rock music. It was so much fun. Well, but yeah, it was one of the, one of the worst experiences. Yeah, and we're also playing on like, um, you know, instruments that were absolutely battered, like in terms of trying to get a good oh. sound out of very little, oh, you know. It was, you just make it work. Um, so yeah, so that that yeah. was that was nice. That was, it was good and bad, wasn't it? It was like a weird and wonderful. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> So I've just got click track written here. <laughs> and I, I actually can't remember what this is now, so I'm I'm excited. What why have we got click track written here? Mate, so um for those of you that are listening that are not musicians, basically uh sometimes when you play live you can use sort of backing tracks and they kind of like um add to your sound so you could have like, I don't know, synths or maybe a few extra sounds on there to basically fatten up your sound. And you weren't actually on this, but no, I, I, used to, I used to do this like touring sort of theatre show and it was all to track, so it was all to click. And we were playing through, and it was a really lovely show and lots of dancers and a big production. And uh, it was all, yeah, all to click track. And halfway through the show, I had sort of, you know, beep, 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 beep in my ear. All of a sudden, it started again. So I had one click track in one ear and the other click track in my other ear. So I did, 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 did like this, like these two click tracks going. Then the the backing track, as in the music, started. Oh no. So I had two sets of music at completely different tempos, completely different songs in either ear. Oh my God. So I was like, oh my God. And because I think a lot of the other musicians, you know, I, because I'm, you know, obviously I'm the drummer. Yeah. A lot of them don't have what I have in my ears because I'm course. kind of, they're, they're kind of following me. So I don't think a lot of people knew what was going on. And it's me freaking out. And I'm trying to signal the monitor engineer on the side of stage who's not paying attention. A massive go at him afterwards. Yeah. So I'm shouting. I'm trying to take one of my ears out. I'm trying to guess which one is the right Uh... one. So what track I was already on. And I was trying to signal uh, signal to him to say, like, stop whatever's happening. Yeah, just stop stop everything. So I was just playing along, trying to stay in time with the click track. And it went on for about two minutes. Oh, man. Mate. That's horrible. It was awful. And to the point where what happened is they basically, they killed the track and we came to the end of the song and the curtain actually went down. And they basically (laughs) sorted it out for about... A minute, and yeah. then it went back up. And it's just nice. like technical difficulties. Yeah, absolutely. But for those two minutes, I had to make so many quick decisions. Yeah. I was like, what do I do? Do I go with this one or this one or how? And I, you know, I was trying to play with one hand, take my one of my ears out with the other hand, whilst trying to tell someone in the band to, to signal the monitor engineer that wasn't paying attention to me. Oh my god! It was absolute. It was it was awful. That's like a bad day at yeah. work. Do you know what I mean? I mean that's. <laughs> that's the equivalent of being a pilot and the plane's going down. 
you got to make decisions. Yeah. It's it's just everything's happening. Oh man, isn't it funny how music can make you feel so great, and then with just a slight changing of, of situation, it can be the most uncomfortable thing in the world. Oh man, right. So, well, I think you know we're coming to the end, um, and so the last the last one to talk about, which is my worst gig, actually leads into our next episode, which is going to be on mental health and mental health in the industry, and um, it's. It's an it's an Odyssey gig. So obviously John's spoken about Odyssey and and stuff like that throughout the the podcast. And when we met Dave, uh, John, and I when we were playing on this gig, and we met Steve, the um, the singer, we would we were going to do it together. And um, it was it was amazing. I mean, we were so blown away that Steve came up to us and was like, "Look, I'm I'm this person. This is my band, and I want you to be the the rhythm section." You know, and um, I got the tracks. We all got the tracks. We didn't really believe it was real at first, actually, because we didn't hear from him for months. We were like, oh, it's just one of those people after a gig saying they want you, but obviously nothing's going to happen. And then we did. We got the tracks through, and we were like, oh, my God, it's happening. And I will keep this super short because I really want to go into the detail in the mental health one because it is the biggest life lesson I have ever learned. Basically... We did one gig, the gig we were preparing for, and I lost the gig on that gig. And it was the worst gig I've ever done because it's the worst I've ever felt in my professional life without without a single doubt. Like all the stuff we've spoken about today was funny bad. It was hilarious. Being ill even was funny bad. But this gig, I... Well, it broke me, and I and I I really will save the detail for that for the next one. But I think the key thing in this is that I I made a choice that was the wrong choice for me. I chose to support someone else and not myself, and I paid the price for that. And I look back on those times, and it was it was awful, but it also meant. That I don't think we'd be here now. Yeah. And I look at that in that way now and I look back and I go, okay, that's what happened, but this is what it's given me. So that is my worst gig, without a doubt. And it was because I lost the gig and I thought at that point, well, I, I thought a lot of really dark things at that point. Um, but we're going to pick that up. Mm. <laughs> so stay tuned for that <laughs> jolly little number that's coming up in a minute. But, um, but man, I tell you what, Mate, first of all, can I just butt in quickly? But that first of all, I yeah. want to say like how brave you are for bringing this up because oh, thank you, I mate. did wonder whether you'd mention this today. And obviously, like me and you being on that to gig, gig yeah. together, when you lost that gig, that was it was devastating. Yeah. I was devastated as well because you know I wanted you on that gig, but like you say, we'll talk about this. Yeah, more, we'll go into I the full say details. How brave yeah. you are for mentioning that. Thank you, mate. I appreciate and, that. Like it's that was tough. Yeah, but I do agree. I think it then shaped you. Oh, totally. And also, I don't think we'd be doing this now if that hadn't have happened. So no, definitely everything not. does happen for a reason, even though it might not feel like that at the time. hundred percent. Do you know what I mean? But for me, you know, that not only would we not be, be here, but I would be, you know, I was quite unwell at that time mentally. Yeah. And I think I didn't even know, but that allowed me to go, oh, I'm not doing so well. And that I'm so grateful for that to go through that so yeah i i agree with you it really is it was a learning curve so yeah we'll um we'll save that for the next yes. one but 
Man, I just want to say, like, fucking hell. <laughs> I, I no, some shit, but, but no, the good stuff, man. Like, I just loved going back to those times with you. Like, because I, yeah. I do, you know, you remember them, but you, you do forget quite a lot. And I was just like, I just love that we can sit here and talk about this stuff. And, I, you know, I hope everyone listening at home is like, this is not us, like, blowing our own trumpets. Like, this is just two mates talking about the good times. Do you know what I mean? And it's like... I'm so grateful. And if anyone here who listens recognizes yourself in any of this stuff, like you have been a huge part of our lives, whoever you are on those gigs. And like, we thank you. I wouldn't change it for the world. And yeah, I just, I'm really, I'm, I'm leaving here feeling very grateful today. Definitely, so thank mate. you to you. And also thank you to, for you, listener, for showing up. Yeah. And I think as, as well, you know, you probably those of you that sort of listened from the beginning we're on episode four now and I'm, I'm sure you can tell that me and ben get a massive kick out of this podcast and it's just a really enjoyable time of the week for us to kind of just chat and reminisce about good times bad times you know uh, our sort of journeys for our careers so far and it's just yeah we're we're having an absolute blast so like if you're listening thank you so much and i think that's it i think we'll say our goodbyes we will see you on the next one take care Peace. You've been listening to Beats and Best Friends, a Behind the Beat production. It was recorded at ICMP Queen's Park. The intro music features John Harris on drums, Ben Jones on bass, Adam Goldsmith on guitar and Nick Ferry on keyboards. Thanks for stopping by and we'll see you on the next session.